and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic. Wait, no, this is different. Role-playing games edition. The once-a-month episode where we talk about role-playing game topic. <laughs> you are one of our hosts, Fletcher. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. And in case you can't tell, we've changed things up a little bit, <laughs> and Kitty will tell us why. This week is our first designated role-playing topic episode, and we're starting off talking about misconceptions about role-playing games. They're hard to learn, you need to be good at acting and use funny voices, you have to make everything up, and they will turn you into a cultish devil worshiper. That part's true. Oh, and we'll talk about all the other things that aren't true as well. (laughs) But first, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, and the Gift of Games and Crazy Illinois, with an updated app soon coming that I'm working on. Not... This very second, but soon. Um, and also, welcome to our newest patron, Gary Bunker. I think so. Bunker. And Sahara Wentworth. Welcome back. Uh, huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. All right. So that was a bumpy start, but you know something? It's the first of the month. <laughs> it's also, as most people are listening to it, except for our wonderful live Zoom audience, if you want to be part of the live Zoom audience, tabletopgametalk.com slash live. Except for them, everyone's listening to this on Groundhog's Day, and I will be watching that movie for probably the hundredth time this year on Groundhog's Day, because I love that movie. This year? Um, not, all right. I haven't watched it a hundred times this year, but this year will be the hundredth time I've watched it. How do I know that? I don't. I'm making it up. Okay. <laughs> Kitty, I don't know what you're sharing, and I don't know why you're doing it, but it scares me. Mercury is in retrograde. That's oh. why everything's weird. That is why everything's weird. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's all Mercury's fault. It, it is, is in retrograde. <laughs> it is. If this is the first episode you're listening to of us... Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, buckle in. This is, this is what it is. Um, if, if we are go not... Go back a couple. Yeah, go back a couple, and it'll be the same thing. That so was a good one. Change. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I've been trying to think, like, which ones would I recommend to new listeners? And I'm like, um, yeah, just pick any of them because they're all the same. Okay, so let's see. I must ask, oh, first thing I should mention, and I have some things to vent about, but first thing I should mention (laughs) is that we're going to draw another winner to our 2021 giveaway season. This is a 2021 giveaway season. Um, If you don't know what that is, it is every so often two to four weeks, as I decide, I'm going to draw a name. If you're a patron, you are entered based on your patron level. If you want to be part of this and you don't want to patron us, that's fine. You don't have to. I have no problems against that whatsoever. Send me an email saying, hey, I want to be entered in your 2021 giveaway, and you are entered for the entire year. Caveat being, I announce your name. You have two weeks, no more than that, two weeks to get back to me and say, I heard my name. I won. And then... You will get to pick games from the list that is in the show notes. That list will grow over the year. It'll also shrink as people are picking games. Christopher Dong was our last winner, and he picked some games that are no longer on the list. Um, So, yeah. So, that is it. Also, if... Well, just in general, you have to cover shipping. So, you get to pick the games, but you have to cover shipping because shipping is crazy expensive. Um, Especially to places on the other side of the planet. Uh, Yeah. So, that's our giveaway. (laughs) We're going to do that. Fletcher, Kitty, how was your weekends? How was your week? How was your stuff, life, whatever? What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am toddlerless. My toddler has gone to visit his grandmother in Michigan, so it's very quiet here. Wait, how long? 
uh, just for a couple of days. I'm going to go pick him up tomorrow. Okay. But he left Saturday afternoon right before the snow. So he's been. we've been missing out on having him rampaging in the snow in our yard. We took Zachary out on the back porch for the first time. We spent about maybe 10 minutes out there. And then he's like, no, I don't like this. Let's go inside. I'm like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I also My kid. Did- loves the snow. <laughs> well, I also did bad parenting slash good parenting. It really depends on what side of the aisle you're on in this one. So <laughs> he wanted to go outside the front door and he didn't have shoes on. I'm like, no, you can't go out. It's too cold. And he's like, no, I want to go out. I'm like, all right, fine. So he's barefoot and I let him walk out on the front porch on freezing snow. He immediately started Dead crying and wanted to come back in. I'm like, next time I tell you it's too cold, are you going to go outside? He's like, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> So now whenever he's like, I walk, walk. I'm like, no, too cold to walk. He's like, too cold to walk. Too cold. (laughs) I'm like, perfect. (laughs) Fletcher, any toddler stories? Uh, No toddler stories. Um, Carmen and I decided to dig out our car last night because she had to use it in the morning. (laughs) And we'd probably be like too tired and grumpy to like dig it out in the morning. So we're digging out Did you get out out some uh, furniture for dibs? (laughs) (laughs) No. I don't like the whole... Di- the dib system does not work when you live in the city. You just can't do that. That's the only place that people try to do it. What Chicago it- is, like, completely unique to dibs, putting your lawn chair in your parking spot. Yeah. yeah so, for like, those who don't live... If you live in a single-family home or, like, close together enough, like, it's okay in the city. But if you don't, <laughs> like, if you live in a condo, if there's condos, like, on your block, there's yeah, not enough work. street parking for everyone. So, you, you can't do dibs. Like people yeah, so, will just move your stuff. So I want to fair. describe dibs to the 90% of our population that doesn't <laughs> listen. So basically what this is, is when you live in the city, your parking is usually street parking, unless you're paying an extra $300 a month for a parking spot. And what people will do is they'll shovel out their spot and then they'll put lawn chairs in their spot because they did the work of shoveling it out so no one else can park there. And yeah, that's not a thing. So, but they will get very, very mad when you get out of your car, move the lawn chairs and park there, which I've never done, but always want to. I really just wanted to run over the lawn chairs because it makes me really mad when people do that. (laughs) Most of the neighborhoods I lived in didn't really go by dibs, but like everyone kind of knew. Yeah. I don't know. So, all right. So you were shoveling out (laughs) Carmen's car. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Shoveling out the car. Uh, she actually got the spot back, so we didn't even need dibs anyway. Um, <laughs> but we need the no sh- one else was need- crazy enough to drive. <laughs> exactly, we need the snow shovels from the basement, and somehow, in the midst of shoveling off her car and shoveling it out, uh, the basement keys fell out of Carmen's pocket and oh, are no. lost. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find them in the sprig. Yeah, <laughs> we'll find them. They're um, you know, in, gone in a forever. Of months, maybe. Hopefully, <laughs> if they're on the street, they might get like snow plowed away. If they, if if I, <laughs> if we picked it up and like shoveled it onto the grass, we might find it in a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, uh. we have a spare, but it's annoying. <laughs> yeah. So for those who like Miles, who just posted in chat that he's never seen snow, um, if you live in the let's see Midwest or Northeast U.S. We had a snowstorm that just decided to, you know, dump all kinds of everything on us, which was a whole lot of fun. But that's, I don't know. The Midwest, I was like, ah, I hate winter. I want to move. But it is kind of the ideal place to live. 
you have your four seasons. So you're like, you know, the year is changing. You don't have insects that are the size of your fist. Because when I go into Florida, go walk outside (laughs) and there's like giant spiders because they never freeze and die. You don't have poisonous things. You don't have earthquakes. You don't have hurricanes. So all of these major natural disasters, including we giant spiders. We do get tornadoes. But even even that, where we're at, we tend to get much fewer than like in the like the plains, the mid-range plains. Yeah, plains. we're not as bad as the central plains. Yeah. Or even the southeast. But yeah, so, we still do get tornadoes yeah, occasionally. I I can't complain around the Great Lakes areas. The Great Lakes areas, besides lake effect snow on the west side of Michigan, um, it's not a terrible place to live. It's just you have to deal with snow every once in a while. But we do sometimes get thunder snow. Nice yeah. try, Lightning Steve. <laughs> <laughs> we did get the polar vortex. Yeah, we're just like highlighting all the worst parts yeah. <laughs> of living in the Midwest. Um but yeah, don't try to call it a palmetto bug. It's a cockroach, and we all know it. And they're gross. They are the worst. Yeah. All right. So I am going to talk. I mean, there's this week has been very eventful. But there's I want to talk about three games. Because I received three <laughs> games this week. And the first game was Bloodborne. I may have had this before last episode. I don't remember. Um, but this is the Kickstarter that fulfilled you with did. 12 boxes. Okay. I have since played the game. And I really do like it. I do not regret getting the all-in for 12 boxes. So it is one of the types of games that I think I'm just going to play solo. Because Sydney will play co-ops with me, but they're not her favorite. And that way I can just kind of like plop it down, play it whenever. And I was happy with that. And then Tainted Grail showed up. Which I want to say is awesome, but also annoying. Because it showed up like three days after Bloodborne, which has 12 boxes. I'll take it if you don't want your Tainted Grail. I'll hold Um, on to that one for you. No, because then <laughs> I played Tainted Grail and I'm like, oh man, this is actually really good. Okay, so now I have to do this. Um, Tainted Grail, for those who don't know, is kind of a seventh continent. If you don't know that, I'm not going to go too much deeper. But seventh continent with a dark Ethereum, um, uh theme with a little splash of Gloomhaven-y deck building built in. Uh, but yes, so it looks really cool and I want to do that. And then I got Dwellings of Everdale because... Everyone is hyping about it. And Breaking Games, if you haven't got it, go to BreakingGames.com right now, and you can still pick up a copy. But I went onto their site, and I did willpower. I did willpower. I got the standard edition. (laughs) And this is where I'm really venting. I got the standard edition. (laughs) Because I'm like, the standard edition, it's all the gameplay. The deluxe and and legendary editions, it just adds a bunch of miniatures, and I I have too many miniatures now. I don't want all the extra space. Just give me the standard edition. I'm well, good. Well, thank goodness it didn't upgrade the components to poker chips, because then... I, oh, I would have definitely got it then. But the the, <laughs> the upgraded edition, not the legendary, but the deluxe edition, did have metal coins and wooden resources. I'm like, no, I can pass on that. And then the legendary edition <laughs> like adds nine new monster cards. Like, nah, I'm fine. It's like, I'm going to like the game, but I'm not going to play it that much, so it's okay. So I'm like, I'm just going to conserve on space. I cannot believe they sent me a box the big enough to store the legendary edition. And what they did is filled it <laughs> with empty box space to pad it out if you don't have the components. So the whole reason that I didn't get the legendary edition is that I didn't have to take up a whole bunch of shelf space for this game. And now I have a half empty box where every time I open it, ooh. <laughs> I feel better a little bit. Oh, man. Oh, man. So this is my thing. (laughs) 
all the standard editions are sold out to all the suckers like me that I'm like, no, I just want the like the base game in a small box. They're all sold out anyway, so you can't actually buy this. <laughs> just get the legendary edition. Get the bigger monsters. Who cares? It's an extra $100. If you're already spending it on this, just uh, – I know $100 is a, not a lot, but the anger the, the, uh, inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> it better be an amazing game. That's all. I, no, no, it can't be. If it's an amazing game, then I'm going to be get even more that I didn't get the legendary. So it better be the worst game I've ever played. So overhyped that I'm just going to immediately put it on eBay and sell it for $10. No, it's going to be on the contest or the giveaway. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm, yeah, just hang around and probably two <laughs> out of these three games are going to yeah. be on the contest list in three months. <sighs> Um, let's see. I almost want to tell that new listener who was very confused by this episode to go back and listen <laughs> to our box inserts episode after this rant, but I don't know if that's actually good advice. Uh, and it has game trays in it, too, so I can't throw the inserts out, because that's what another thing I would do, but I'm like, no, I never throw away game trays, because the trays are actually really, really good. The storage system is really, really good. It's just completely empty in my edition. <laughs> <sighs> All right, I feel better now. Um, also, we got a new logo. This logo for this episode... <laughs> if, <laughs> that's my segue. This episode is the role-play game logo. I think it's super, super cool. Um, I don't know if Apple Podcasts shows us the shows you the episode logo. So if you ha- if you don't see it on Apple Podcasts, then just go to our website, tabletopgametalk.com, and you'll see it there. Most other podcast catcher, podcasters, or whatever they call it, will show you the individual episode image on there so um yeah this that logo inspired this whole series so that's going to be cool all right um let's just talk about the main holy crap it's 15 minutes um let's talk about (laughs) our show topic let's get on topic (laughs) all right fletcher wake up oh my god oh all right so role-playing misconceptions yes let's talk about role-playing misconceptions um this is our first role-playing focused episode. I figured misconceptions is a great place to start. And I want to start with the big one right off the top. And actually I don't even know if it's the big one, so but it's I, it's hold on. Before we even get there, I want to ask you guys a question that I talked to Spencer about tonight. Okay. And that is both of you guys started playing role-playing games like pretty early in your life. Did yeah. you ever have a chance to know what a role-playing game was without playing it? Fletcher, you're first. Um, <laughs> I mean, I had played video games that were role-playing games. Um, but, like, did you hear about, like, Dungeons & Dragons before so, yeah, you, like, about, sat down to play Dungeons & Dragons? I definitely heard about Dungeons & Dragons before I actually played it. Okay. Um, I knew it was a game, uh, like a tabletop kind of, like, RPG, like, pen and paper game. Mm-hmm. But that's pr- probably pretty much all I knew about it. Um, okay. So I what didn't, about you, Chris? I, really, I knew it was or, like, you know, quote unquote, like a nerdy or geeky thing. But that's pretty much all mm-hmm. I knew. I was in so seventh grade. I don't remember where I heard about it. But I know that I heard about this thing called Dungeons and Dragons. Seventh grade for me was, let's say I was 13. So probably 86 or so. 1886? 1986. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, and I wanted the year I was born. Wild Earp. It was. It was. It was a good time. Um, I wanted to learn about it, so I actually found and I I like scanning my grade in middle school. I was scanning my grade for the nerdiest kid I could find, 
and I asked him if he knew about Dungeons and Dragons. And he said, yeah. And I'm like, can you teach me? Yeah. And we became friends all through middle school and high school because of this. I played Dungeons and Dragons once. I died in the first 15 minutes. I hated the game forever. And then I started <laughs> playing a superhero role-playing game called Champions. And that was my early role-playing. And until 4th edition D&D, where they fixed everything, um, I never came back to D&D. Now, I know most people who... Debatable. D&D seriously, <laughs> just like, what? But yeah, 4th edition to me brought me back into D&D, and like 5th edition is my game of choice now. So, speaking of the 80s, D&D <laughs> was released my birth year, 1974, and it became an instant hit and made TSR, which was the publisher at the time, hugely famous. Um, Well, famous, rich, whatever. And they just started pulling in money hand Successful. over Successful? Successful. Yes, that's those are the words. And then around <laughs> 1980 came a time where there the entire it wasn't just D and D in the gaming community. We kind of like say this is a D and D thing, but it really wasn't. This was a national thing in the U.S. We suddenly, as a country, thought that Satan worshippers were everywhere. <laughs> and according to this article I'm reading on Gizmodo right now. In the 1980, allegations of ritual abuse in a preschool in Southern California led to the longest, most expensive trial in U.S. history, the McMartin Preschool case, which resulted in zero convictions, becoming emblematic of a much more widespread phenomenon known as the Satanic Panic. In the early 80s, we thought that there were cults everywhere. Our children were being corrupted by Satanic cults in all places. In every single case, this was not the case, it was not true. But it also spread into Dungeons and Dragons, which ended up creating a movie starring Tom Hanks in his first movie called Mazes and Monsters. If you want to understand this time period, what they thought Dungeons and Dragons was, watch Mazes and Monsters. It is the worst movie I've ever, second worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Battlefield Earth is the worst movie I've ever seen. The John Travolta one? Yeah. Oh, it's just, it. oh, so bad. But anyway, um, Mazes and Monsters is pretty bad. And... To this day, both Dungeons and Dragons and Harry Potter for a slightly different reason. This was an Onion article that is quoted in a lot of um, like very right-wing conservative religious groups. Um, we'll quote The Onion on why Harry Potter is teaching your child how to cast spells and do witchcraft. But um, this is where I want to start. Role-playing games are not evil. They won't make you evil. I don't think there's any documented case ever of someone going insane and killing someone because they were playing in a role-playing game. And I know that there's a dozen people right now at least that are like, no, 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 I heard about this guy who did this. Shh. I, there's, I don't think there's any case anywhere that has happened. And if it did, there's, you know, 350 million people in this country. It's bound to be blamed on D&D at some point. I don't think it was Dungeons and Dragons, but I do think I did hear a story about people playing Vampire the Masquerade who committed an actual murder. Sure. There are people who are crazy. But, you know, there are crazy people out there who do all kinds of different (laughs) hobbies. There are much more wholesome hobbies that have many more bad incidents associated with them. But you can't, you know, just throw it out there. That, you know, I feel like it was a dateline I watched when I was in high school. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the interesting thing. So, really, the satanic panic is an interesting phenomenon to just get 
information on. Um, again, it kind of bled into yeah. Dungeons and Dragons and into then role playing games in general. But the more but honestly, look- even into like rock music and other yeah. completely unrelated stuff in culture, it was it was a completely widespread cultural phenomenon that has wide-reaching effects to this day. And there are some really interesting podcasts out there completely about the Satanic Panic. If you're interested in it, it had seriously wide-ranging effects on our culture to this day. Yeah. And and, and it kind of goes back to all kinds of... It's why there's so many laws that if a parent lets their child more than like 50 feet away from them, it's abuse because your child's going to get, you know, kidnapped by cultists. If you, if they're ever out of your sight, <laughs> Wow. these, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's very, very interesting. Um, and it's one of the, it's also something that everyone's heard of. Like, I don't know that you can say Dungeons and Dragons to anyone where it's like, their first impression isn't like, uh, isn't that a little? Although nowadays, I think it's, it's be- people of a certain age. Yeah, I think that the the younger you get, um, generationally speaking, the less it's associated with Satanic Panic. That it it had the staying power to get through the kind of negative associations of the eighties that it had there. And to me, many people my age, it is not nearly as associated with that as it is with other interesting kind of misconceptions and it has become much more of a socially acceptable and um kind of a staple of cultural nerddom (laughs) yeah i would say that the current high school college generation probably doesn't associate dnd with say satanism or anything like that um yeah they associate it with critical role i mean honestly i didn't when i first started playing it in probably about seventh grade for me as well, around yeah, late nineties. Yeah, I I think that, and the the thing with this is, I just bring it up because I think it's one of those common misconceptions in the you know kind of millennial generation above, and this is where like the thirty something millennials and above, um, you just kind of associate it with. Wait a minute, isn't that a little? Eh? Hopefully, that's turning around, but it is an evil. Uh, now, here's the thing. <laughs> I also understand why people may want to avoid Dungeons and Dragons for the themes. Just because you you don't have to think that it's going to turn you into a Satanist to not want to play Dungeons and Dragons. Because I've actually talked to a lot of people that, you know, Magic the Gathering. They never play Black because they just don't like that theme. They don't believe that's something that they want to pretend in being. Um, or some people just avoid the game altogether because, you know, if there's devils and necromancers and stuff, it's not something I want to be associated with. D&D does have those types of elements. There are, you know, devils and demons and good versus evil and all of those things. And it does have, as a character, you're running around basically, you know, the concept of a murder hobo where you don't know where you live. But pretty much if you're rolling <laughs> initiative, you'll kill what's in front of you. That does exist. And I completely understand how that is not the type of game that many people may may want to play. That is not a misconception. It's an understanding. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, it's hard to talk to people about the game evolution because I think D&D of today, 5th edition, is so different from original Dungeons & Dragons, um, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, you know, any of the other editions. It, it moves forward every time it 
changes and I guess moves forward might not even be the same. It's just it's different than it used to be. It's a different kind of game. There can be much more nuance, but you can always still run a straight up murder hobo campaign as yeah. we try to do every week and you chastise <laughs> us soundly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and at, the, and at its heart, you're right, is role-playing games are structured storytelling. It's structured improv. Mm-hmm. And that type of thing is, it, it can go in many directions depending on your group. You can have an incredibly wholesome D&D campaign. Um, but if you wanted to do that, there are other <laughs> games that you could probably play that are more suited to that type of thing. Um and since I said structured improv, I'm going to move this next topic to the top of the <laughs> lift. Top of the lift. Top of the list. I'm going to lift it to the top of the list. The next miscon- So this is the misconception that I definitely had because I think I had the largest gap of the three of us between when I learned that D&D was a thing and when I started playing. And this was a big part of why I didn't start playing. And it's because I thought you had to be good at being a character to play a role-playing game. You had to improv. You had to act at the table in front of other people and, like, really inhabit a character. And, like, you had to use voices and you had to, you know, be in character the whole time. And it was going to be something hard to do. But... Um, this is not the case. No. <laughs> and it was only through seeing other people play at my house. I, you know, started living with Chris and Spencer and they had a group that regularly met and just like getting takeout with you guys. I mean, like, oh, that's not what it is at all. It's math. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be an actor, as John said, you don't have to be a thespian. You just have to be able to read a character sheet. <laughs> Yeah, and we'll talk about relation to that misconception in a minute as well. Um, Fletcher, what did you think about this? Did you ever feel intimidated that, oh, wait, I have to be my character? Or is that something you were, like, looking forward to doing? No, I didn't. I came into this with, like, very, almost, like, no preconceptions. Um, I was intru- I was introduced to it through um, my friends at the time that were just, you know, my middle school friends. And I think... Uh, one of my middle school friends, like we'd always go to over to her house, his house, and he had an older brother that played uh, AD&D, is what we played at the time. Um, and it was introduced to me that way. And I think he had played it like before. And it's like, oh, you should play this game with us. It's Dungeons and Dragons, which I've heard of before. And then I just started playing. I was like, okay, like, what do I need to do? Like, you have to te- teach me everything because I-, I don't know. And uh, I've always just played in third person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, I think most people should play in third person. Um, even as a DM, I often will play in third person unless it's easier to drop into character for a conversation. Yeah, and and sometimes and, and really that's just so I don't have to keep saying. And she says blah 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 blah. I can I just drop into that character. I rarely drop into voices when I drop into character. Um, I sometimes drop into unless like, it's noggin. Unless it's Noggin. <laughs> Noggin was a goblin that I literally put a goblin encounter in the middle, in front of the group. Um, there was This would have been an unusual encounter based on the world we were playing in. And instead, the group decided to Diplo the goblin. The goblins. And they just started talking to the goblin, made friends with the <laughs> goblin, and the goblin became a year and a half long friend of the group. And then ultimately, a deity in the world. This was completely by accident. And those are the types of things that can happen 
in a role-playing game when you just let it happen. <laughs> and the thing is, I had to do that voice every time because I did the voice when they were the asking questions time. just to respond. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, this is a reoccurring character. So I have to keep doing this. Yeah. Spencer still hates Noggin. Which was As also, he should. Yeah, which it's was also the a, worst. No, no, he was the best. It was also a name I just made up on the spot, too. It's like, who are you? I was like, oh, I, I, I'm Noggin. Yeah. See, as much as I hate being put on the spot, I think it is so funny to put the DM on the spot. Like, um, uh-huh. I really enjoyed, was it Catherine had the power where she could talk to plants? Yes. And she made you name all of the plants <laughs> that she could talk to. And it was just, it's so much fun to put the DM on the spot. But yeah. um, we will yeah, actually you know, have an entire episode on DMing for players like you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just where some of the best stuff comes from is those moments where the DM's like, uh, uh, um, yeah, <laughs> this is what's going on. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, at the heart of it, you do not have to be an actor. You do not have to improv. Uh, no. There's a lot of people out there that think that critical role is hurting D&D because they're like, oh, this is the way it's supposed to be played. No, they're all professional actors on that show. And yeah. that's why they play the way they play. You do not have to play that way. When you listen to actual play podcasts, most of those podcasts are done by people that have, if they're not professional improv actors, they've taken improv classes. They know how to perform in character. That's not your at-the-table D&D. Plug for my favorite podcast. <laughs> yes. On the Glass Cannon, some of them were actors. Some of them have done improv. But my favorite character... Um, I guess my favorite player who has played some of my favorite characters is Joe and Joe. I think he was um, an agent is how they met him. He does like a, but now he's a full-time employee of this company. But every time he's like, I'm not good at being creative. So he had an orc character named Lork who had a son <laughs> named Jason. <laughs> and he had a friend named Brend. And like, they just kept like, he's not good at making things up. And like, but you'll see if you listen to this podcast throughout the years, like, it's a muscle you can exercise. And the more you play these games, the more you're a part of it, the more fun that aspect of it becomes. Yeah. But you don't have to be good at it to still enjoy the game. You can never get good at it and still really enjoy the game and have fun playing it. And that doesn't matter. And especially when you start out, if you're starting with a group of people, almost no one is going to be that good at it. Yep. So don't worry about it. Don't feel self-conscious. It's just if you need to describe from third person, if you need to step back from your character, just like reading your character sheet and being like, I'm going to do what this box says I can do. That's good. That's great. And Fletcher, what I think is interesting is until you just said that you still play in third person, I never noticed it. Mm-hmm. Because Spencer plays first person quite often. He'll drop into yeah, he speaking does. in his character. I do not notice at the table, and I don't think anyone in our group, well, they will now, um, will notice <laughs> people talking in first or third person. Like, it just doesn't... No one talks in second person, because that's just a weird person. But um, no one talks in Evie first... Evie, from now on, shall refer to herself <laughs> only in the second person. <laughs> All right. That's worth podcasting. But the point I'm trying to make is you can play in third person, and everyone else can be playing in first person, and it won't matter. You can mix these styles nope. at the same table Nobody will notice. So, and also, if anyone ever asks you, and you'll see this sometimes, um, 
I don't want to say with bad DMs, but I'll say with um, more strict DMs. I want to make a charisma check, charisma check to convince the prince to help let us do such and such. Okay, how do you do that? It is completely fine to A, uh-huh. answer that question and say, this is how I want to do it. Or B, saying, I don't know, but my character has an 18 charisma, so they probably do. <laughs> and this is what I want to get out of that. Let me just roll. Both of those are valid answers and okay to do. So, and as a DM, do not ask your players to know or do something your char- their characters know better than they do. If my character has an 18 intelligence, it doesn't mean that I as a player have 18 intelligence. If there's a puzzle in front of me, (laughs) (laughs) I want my character to be able to figure it out. That's why I'm playing that character. (laughs) I have that um, problem sometimes of like, where you'll be like, hey, does anyone know about this? I'm like, I don't, but I think my character should. (laughs) Yes. Yep. And I, as a DM, am more than happy. Like, I am happy to let some people like saying, I want to say this and do this. Great. Fine. It may will still end up in a role. I may give you advantage for having a cool idea. But essentially what I do is say, what is your intent? And if you want to add anything more than that, that's fine. But your character's there for a reason. So that's okay to do. Look down on the sheet. I look. It looks like I'm good at intimidate. I intimidate him to give me the information. How do you do that? By rolling this d20 and adding this number to it. <laughs> <laughs> that is fine. That is literally how the game is played, and it is okay. You do not have to be a good improv actor. Let's segue into what you said before, Kitty, where it's just math. It's not improv acting. Fletcher, is role-playing mm-hmm. hard to learn? Is Do you um, have to be good at math to be good at D&D? Uh, you had to be good at understanding rules, and you needed to understand <laughs> Thacko when I started playing, <laughs> which was the most confusing thing. <laughs> Like, but no, luckily, that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with both of those. Well, no, the second one and AD and D, you didn't need to understand Thacko. But I don't think you need to know the rules. Uh, well, somebody need needs to know, to know the rules. Somebody rules. needs to know the rules. Yes. Yeah. And it's just it's helpful if everybody knows the rules, so you don't always have to rely on the one person that knows the rules. Yeah. Or knows enough of the rules. I think you have to be willing to learn the rules. As you, you don't have to learn them all at first, but you can learn them as you go. Because yeah, it gets really frustrating to play with somebody who, like, you have to know your rules, too. Like, I don't have to know how a paladin works. It doesn't matter for me. I'm playing a wizard. I need to know the wizard rules. And, you know, Chris is the DM, has to know both the rules so he knows that me and Spencer aren't cheating. Because me and Spencer will both cheat. Not on purpose, but accidentally, because there's a lot of rules to know. (laughs) There's a lot of rules Um, to know, and you have to, it's a lot of kind of like looking up, and you have to be like okay with looking it up. I know when I first started playing, obviously I didn't know any of the rules, so I was relying on my friends to teach me. And I was mm -hmm. like, what is this? Like, I remember like Charisma, the first character I ever played, it was a dwarf warrior, and we were actually rolling the dice for my stats. And I think Mm -hmm. I rolled, I don't know, something really really bad like a six or something like that <laughs> and like put that in charisma and i was like what's charisma <laughs> and it's like well your character's not going to be very uh you know not nice is the wrong word but it's like they're not going to be very like outgoing <laughs> they're not gonna be or a necessarily person. friendly <laughs> yeah so it was, it was like you know you learn you just kind of like learn 
about this stuff as you go. And I was just taking advice from my friends at the time. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, you want to do this. You want to do this. You know, how do I attack? What do I want to do? Um, and that's, you just have to be willing to learn. And, you know, that's pretty much it. And then, and yeah. then having, having my friends like basically tell me what I should be doing. It made me want to go pick up a, you know, a player's handbook and, and read it to learn all, not to learn about all the things I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to get a better understanding of the rules. So I'm going to take what you've said and put it into the, a, a different slant where the misconception here is that you have to know all the rules. If you look at a player's handbook, it's 300 pages of rules. You do not. You do not need to know that player's handbook. You do not need to read the whole thing. There are three pages that are useful, which is essentially the combat rules and how to make a skill check. And that's all you need to start playing. If you're a dungeon master, you need to spend more time. You do need to know the rules. But as a new player, I can teach you in about 15 seconds of how to play this game. You're going to roll a d20. You're going to add a number to it. Anytime I ask you to make a skill check, an attack check, whatever, you're going to roll a d20. You're going to add a number to it. The rest of it, you will learn as you go. And it's not hard to learn as you're playing it. Now, the one thing, Kitty is literally checking the number of pages on this. Um, I could probably tell you. It's probably 260-ish. Um, um, well, I would also say you need to look at, you have to know two other sections, and that is your race and your class. Yes, I was just about to say. But total, you need maybe 15 pages of reading, maybe. Yeah. It is helpful when you're playing the game if you know the rules that apply to your character. I know the fighter rules and the of the abilities that I have. Or I know, you know, I basically you want to know what your character sheet can do. But even then, you don't have to know them right away because the game eases you into it. First level characters, there's almost nothing to do. There's nothing to learn besides the basic core mechanic. You have one or two things that set you apart from everyone else, and they're relatively straightforward things to do. Um if you're going to play for the first time ever, don't pick a wizard. The wizard is the hardest one to play. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. more things you need to know as a wizard. Um, but a fighter is, yeah. yeah. But a fighter and a rogue and a, a there's like lots of cool classes that you can be that aren't. Start with a ranger, setting. a paladin, or a rogue because maybe even a bard. Fighter, um, monk, bard, all of those are good places to. If start. If you start with a fighter, though, I feel like it gets. I don't know. It's not as much fun. There's not as much to it. I disagree. And so do I, I think disagree. it's 50, 55% of characters on D&D Beyond are fighters. And they're the ones that are being played. It's something crazy like that. If they're the ones that's being played, that's crazy. Because my guess is like everyone creates a level one fighter to play in a one-off as their first character. And then they're like, now I want to do something cooler than this. Fletcher, what is, your, like- what is your favorite class? Oh, my favorite class. I don't know. Uh, it's been a long... <laughs> I'm playing a rogue right now, and it's been a long time since I've played a rogue. The rogue was pretty fun. I I always like kind of like tinkering with fighters because there's a lot of different... They're, they're very broad, but you can kind of like, I don't know, put them in some kind of niche here and there to like have a very specific type of fighter, like, you know, dual wielding or shield or whatever. So I tinker a lot with fighters, but if I had to say what a favorite class is, like maybe a monk. Monk is, I do like monk a lot. I will say the 5th edition fighter is my go-to class. I love the 5th edition fighter. It it's it like you How said, many of them just, have you played personally, Chris? Um if I'm playing in 
a campaign or I'm playing in a, usually it's one shots that I'm playing in. Um, I will either make a fighter or a monk, one of those two classes, because they're both, well, monk is just very much, it's breakable. Monk is OP. Yeah. <laughs> but the fighter is so versatile. It just can do so many things. Like most of the character, the fantasy characters you think about are fighters. So, and just to keep this on topic and not go too long, this is a great way to learn D&D is pick a fighter. And then the next question I ask you is, okay, do you see yourself with a sword and shield, one big sword that you're using with two hands, or a bow? Great. I'm going to be a sword and shield. Awesome. Are you seeing yourself as a defender, or do you want to do more damage? Great. Because it is so versatile in all those different things. You tell me what you want, and I can build you a fighter that does that. And I think that's really kind of fun. But they do have things like barbarians and rangers and monks and rogues that are more specialized in these specific things than fighters are. And paladins, I guess, for like the defender aspect of things. But fighters can just do a little bit of everything. And that makes them... Kenny, I think you need fighters to play a fighter. Are, fighters are really cool and they can do really cool stuff. But I feel like, I don't know, you need to have the rest of the party with you. You could be an arcane fighter. They can self-heal. Yeah. They can self-heal. They have they get second they get wind. wind. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So and what we're saying, again, to bring it back to misconceptions that the rules are hard, all the stuff that we're talking about right now is we're actually debating which class is easiest to play. <laughs> because at low levels, they're all easy to play. Even wizards are easy to play at low levels because you have, you know, two or three spells that you're going to use over and over. Someone else should pick your spells for you if you're going to do that. Yeah. But, but what you do when you're playing the game is pretty simple. And Wizards of the Coast has pre-rolled characters for level 1s, 4, 7, and 10, I think, that you can get for every class. You can get just a pre-rolled character. Here you go. And there, and you're set to go. It occurs to me we should talk about what rolling up a character means. If you've come here and you've never played role-playing games... <laughs> Rolling up a character is just shorthand for creating a character. We say that because in traditional D&D, you actually rolled for the stats of your character. In current D&D, that is the default option. I never, ever let anyone ever in any of my games ever play that way because it's ridiculous. There are no random rolls in my games. Um, point by forever. Oh, but it's so fun. It is for one shot. <laughs> in a one shot, I would let people do it, but not in a campaign. In a campaign, it's just too swiggy. Um, uh, that's what makes also it if you're like curious a, about character <laughs> creation, we have an entire episode about it, like not that long ago. Oh, that's so. true. That's true. Um, really, we're calling this, this is our official first role playing game episode, um, monthly one, but we have touched on it many times before, this. though. All right, yeah, let's move on to the next misconception, which is a pretty general one. Um, and that is structure, it's too freeform. Um, this is in general, there's a lot of people who are like, I don't want to come up with the thing I do. I just want to know what I can do. And I want to pick from those choices. This is a big one when you're coming from the board game world or the computer world where you're, maybe you played Gloomhaven or some kind of dungeon crawl or some kind of computer role playing game. And you have specific things you can do. You're not making things up. Too much freedom, not enough structure. This is the misconception. Um, and I'm pretty sure I got this from someone's email. And I think I might have got it from someone's email who's in chat right now. Um, but 
wherever the, this came in, and I said, this is a really good misconception that I never really thought of, but I hear it all the time. What do you guys think of this? I completely agree. It's very intimidating <laughs> when it comes to your first turn. You've all rolled initiative, and the DM says, "What are you? What do you want to do?" And you go, I I don't know. <laughs> like it, and I don't know if this was a misconception I had until I was at the table and confronted with that question, and I had no idea what to do. But I do think that you know, with um, a good table full of players. Um, as long as you didn't roll the highest initiative, <laughs> um, you should have some good examples of things that you can do. And with a good DM and someone who's kind of walked you through, like, this is your character sheet. These are your abilities. You know, all you have to say is like, I'm going to hit this goblin with my sword. And they say, yes, roll this die and add this number. And you do that. Excellent. You hit or you missed, and that resolves, and then you move on. And as you go forward, you learn more and more by seeing other players, by seeing the DM, by seeing your own character sheet, reading the rules, all of those things. You know, it becomes easier and easier to know, like, that in some ways there are only so many choices you can make, but in other ways you can make any choice you want to make. And it, it, fits really well into that kind of like perfect area so of, like, both, i can do whatever i want <laughs> yeah you've confirmed and dispelled the misconception at the same time <laughs> uh, fletcher i'm interested in your take on this one you know i don't think i really ever had that kind of an issue i'm i'm trying to remember because it was a long time ago but for me i think it was just kind of like i don't know like like i i want to do that like for me D&D has always been a little bit more weighted towards, like, the combat simulator in my head as mm-hmm. opposed to, like, role-playing simulator. Yeah. Um, so, for me, it's like, yeah, I want I want to attack the goblin. And if I don't know how to do that, it's like, I want to attack the goblin. How do I do that? Yeah. How do, like, what rules do I need to follow and what do I need to do to, like, run up and, and hit this thing with my sword? So, so, did you play a lot of video games before you played a tabletop role-playing game, Fletcher? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's a lot easier to translate from video game to tabletop role-playing game when you've done that. Um, people who are less familiar, especially with role-playing style video games, you know, you understand, oh, I'm in combat. These are my things I can do. And now I attack. Now I cast my spell, whatever it is. If you're not familiar with like that combat style, that system, then it's much harder to be like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, you know? Yeah. So what I will say here is, there is a lot of freedom in role-playing games. That is true. But there is also a lot of structure in many role-playing games. And I'm going to say there's a lot of structure in Dungeons & Dragons when it comes to combat. It is a very, very structured combat system. And a combat system you can learn in about three pages of rules, which is a lot less than most board games, to be frank about it. Um, if you really want a game that is very structured, like overtly this is balanced structure to the extreme dungeon and dragons fourth edition is your game if you want to play a role-playing game and not have to worry about not knowing what to do dungeon and dragons fourth edition literally has cards that say here are your abilities <laughs> and i can use this ability once a day and i can use this ability once an encounter and i can use this ability whenever i want it is a board game when it comes to combat simulation At the same time, because you have a dungeon master that can allow the rules to be broken, and it's within their purview to do so, 
regardless of what system you're playing, the dungeon master has final say in how the rules are applied, whether that be completely break it or not. You can do anything you want. That is also true. But what you can do, your choices, are very limited by the rules themselves. So you don't have to be intimidated by that. You can just go for that. And our current campaign, we are playing combat on a grid. Not because I enjoy that better. Um, I'm basically indifferent in, in for a lot of cases. But because, specifically, Kitty enjoys that better. And I think that some of the other players do as well. Because it becomes very structured when you're on a grid. And you know, I can move six squares and I can swing my sword. Or I can back and back up out of their range of the bow and I can cast my spell. Because you see it on a grid, it becomes more board game-esque. And I don't mean that derogatorily. It's just that you can see everything. Um, John just, you know, it helps you visualize how everything works. And if you can visualize it, it narrows your choice selection to, I know what I can do because I can see what everyone else can do and what my action's going to have in relation to everyone else. I think that has something to do with my learning style, too. I'm much more of a visual learner. Um, that I am a, I don't remember, audio, whatever the other ones are. I need to see something to understand it. And a lot of times, if we're doing theater of the mind, something will be described to me. And by the time it's my turn, two minutes later, I've forgotten what was described to me. And I don't want to hold everyone up by, wait, now where was every single thing? And, you know, with theater of the mind, like, you might not remember exactly where everything was exactly. That's the whole point is you don't have to be as exact. And um, I, I don't, I don't like that because it feels like you can break the rules. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing on my side as the DM, there was a, a particular battle where I believe it was you, Fletcher, that like, okay, I'm going to move. Oops, I'm one square short of being able to move and attack. And I'm like, no, you can make that extra move. You can move that extra square and attack. Mm -hmm. At that point, everyone knows I just broke the rules. In theater of the mind, it's not the rules aren't broken because, you know, in each person's mind, they're kind of picturing what's going on. So that's where the more structured it becomes, the less flexibility I have without everyone being like, oh, you just fudged Mm -hmm. that. I still think the fudging is important, though, because, oh, I move, oops, I'm five foot, five feet short of actually being able to do the cool thing I wanted to do. That's lame for everyone. So <laughs> typically what I'll do is like, okay, make an athletics check or something. And if you roll higher than a 10, then you get, you, you know, you push through and you get that extra foot in there before, so you can actually do the attack. And I'll try to make it seem rulesy, but there's these trade-offs between this is like, is this a tactical game? Is it a tactical combat game or is it a storytelling game? And combat can be both at the same time if you let it be. But if you're worried about not having enough structure, the structure's there, trust me. Especially for D&D. <laughs> I had a point and I forgot what it was. <laughs> we'll never know now. It was Al- great. Allowing you to fudge fudge things in open. So, you know, I think the number one rule is always the rule of fun. You want it to be fun Oh, but also, this is the point I was going to make, is sometimes, like, I can't make it up to attack this time. What else can I do? If my character was in this situation and they can run as fast and as far as they can without being able to hit them with their sword, it gives you the opportunity to think, 
what else, what would I do? What other abilities do I have? It can make it less like I always just run and hit with my sword and can use the words to, um, use the rules to sometimes like come up with better ideas of like, I, I don't just have to do the same things all the time. I can do these other things. I can use these other abilities. And that's actually the fun of the narration piece of it is playing by the rules and narrating what you do. Again, mm-hmm. as as previously discussed, you do not have to be good at improv or acting or describing any of these things. You can simply say, I swing my axe and I do five points of damage. You can you can say that. Or you can say, I swing my axe and I'm aiming for his chin and whatever, like which is not a thing. Called shots are not a thing in D&D. But I can actually call that out based on your role. I can pull from that and describe more of what happens in the combat. And, and it's really fun if you do pretend called shots and then you kill something and your pretend called shot becomes how they die. Like, it's just more fun. Exactly. Adding flavor makes it yep. more interesting, and but is not necessary to the experience. Nope. And it's one of those and things you can And you can let get- a good player carry the whole team. Yeah. <laughs> so this takes us to our final misconception that I have noted here. And I'm sure there are many, many more. And we'll get to next week's episode in a second. Um, or next month's episode. And that's, I wouldn't be good at it. This is my number one thing is I don't know how I probably wouldn't be good at it. You will be fine at it. 100%. I'm just going to say right now, nobody is bad at role-playing games. Prove me wrong. Well, I don't know if you you can be, I would say everyone starts bad at it. How about that? Like, you can be a professional actor who knows all the rules. You have to like get into it. Nope, you I disagree. Have nope, nope. Yeah, I don't agree. Yeah, I will. Right. Say, I, I I think I, I think what you're trying. I think to it's say, fine. It's still fun. It's fun to be yeah. bad at it. I think what you're trying to say <laughs> is is correct, but I think the way you're saying it is is different. Incorrect is incorrect. <laughs> you, <laughs> if you want to be all right. To be bad at a role-playing game, you have to actively try. You have to be the rogue that steals from your you party. You have to, like, not participate. Yeah. You have to be the fighter that says, no, I object to killing these goblins, so I'm going to stand over here by this rock. <laughs> that is actually actively being bad because you are doing something that's detrimental to the story and to the outcome of the group. But you have to actively do those things. If you just do the options that are on your character sheet, you will not be bad. You may not be fantastic. You may not be tactical. You may not be the most strategic, fun person in the world. Okay, but you won't I be will bad. revise my statement. Everyone starts off feeling like they're bad at it. Sure. But you're not bad sure. at it. Correct. Okay. Yep. And that's where you can feel like you're doing the worst and most terrible job, and you're not, and it's fine, and you'll figure it out, and you'll still have fun. And even if you just like hang out, say, I swing my sword eight times in a row while you drink a beer with your friends or whatever, you know, equally appealing non-alcoholic beverage of choice is, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it'll still be a really good time. Yep. As long as you don't take the game too seriously, and you shouldn't, um, and we could talk about there are... Subject matters and things that are just should be off limits in general, but that's mm-hmm. for the DM to understand with the group and the group to convey to the DM that there's certain subject matters that are off limits. But in general, role playing should be fun as long as you are just having fun 
I I gave Fletcher, not Fletcher, I gave Spencer a free <laughs> luck feat because he could not hit to save his life, literally, no. figuratively, <laughs> character in the character. I'm like, he rolled the worst for like so two sessions in a row. He could not roll yeah. over an eight. <laughs> so I gave all the characters a free feat, and the one I gave him was luck, just so he could re-roll his die every <laughs> once in a while so he could hit. Was he bad? No, he just was rolling bad. He's great at playing the game, just not very effective at rolling dice. It happens. Oh, it's just even not funnier when he comes yeah. up with these great role-playing moments and he says, and then I'm going to do this. And he rolls the die and he's like, and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and we all laugh. And everyone does that. Yes. And we all laugh and we have fun. If you're laughing and having fun, it does not matter what's going on on the dice. It's a fun experience. Um, and although I do a pretty good job at not doing total party kills or TPKs as they're called, even a good TPK is hilarious and memorable for years and years and years. You don't have to be good at it. You won't be bad at it. And you will get better if you enjoy just hanging around with your friends, having a fun adventure. And I will say experienced players out there, if you are listening, this is my piece of advice. If somebody is struggling, be kind. Do not put them on the spot. (laughs) Do not, um, DMs, do not kill first-time players at your table and say, oops, that's it. You know, like, these bad experiences at one time, first-time players, can be really hard to get over. And just, like, showing that little bit of kindness, giving the the benefit of the doubt, explaining things a little bit more, just be kind and everyone will have a better time. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing I would say is don't never ever. And if you're this kind of person, I'm talking directly to you. Never ever (laughs) say, why did you do that? Don't do that. Play your character. Yes. And yeah, play your character. (laughs) Laugh at the, the suboptimal move that just happened. And play your character. Mm-hmm. It's just a game. You can't play anyone else's character. Yeah. You don't need to you're optimize fine. the group. If you're an <laughs> optimizer, don't optimize the group. Optimize yourself. If you're going to get angry with other players because they're not optimizing their moves, you're in the wrong game. Go play Magic. Well, I mean, <laughs> you might not even be in the, sa- the wrong game. There are groups of people you're who in the that is the fun for yeah. them. You're in the wrong, you're in the wrong group. group. Everyone yeah. can find a group. Yeah, actually, that's that's a good point. There are literally groups that like their whole soul is to power game and optimize their characters. And that is a completely valid way to play as well. They play Pathfinder. Yep. Uh, right. Exactly. <laughs> but but be if you're in a mixed group, you want to mix down. You don't want to try to pull the others up. If you're an optimizer mm-hmm. and you're playing with a group of new players, you need to become the new player. Don't optimize. Take that opportunity to say, I don't need to op- op- optimize this. Or optimize or if you like want to. just optimize your character and do your thing and yep. don't worry about what the whole the party as a whole looks like. Just worry about what you do. You are in charge of you. I feel like all of these things really could be applicable to D and D and a preschool. Oh, and I we say D and D, but we mean all role playing games. Role-playing. Like they all yeah. follow the same 
kind of template. I, we are just currently playing in a D&D campaign, so okay. it's our go-to example. But we've played lots of other ones, and these kinds of things happen in all of them. And the role-playing aspects are more at the front of others, and the rules and the numbers are on the other side, and there's in-betweens, and everything yeah. is crazy. <laughs> and my, I'm going to, maybe this is going to be a reoccurring thing. End of the episode, all these episodes. My DM advice, <laughs> if your players aren't laughing and having fun, you're doing it wrong. Rule of cool <laughs> is not just a phrase. It is it is literally the basis for wanting to play this game. Your players should feel like they're able to do cool things. And mm-hmm. if they're not, it is not their fault as much as it is your fault. It could be partly their fault. It's just not as much as it is your fault. The DM controls the tempo, the pace, the tone of the table. And you want that tone to be the tone of the table, not your own personal. When Even in this campaign, I you know, the whole troglodyte incident, if the table <laughs> wants to be able to kill troglodytes without guilt, then that is the right decision for that campaign. And if there's any player or the DM that's just like, I'm not feeling what's going on here, that's okay to say this isn't the right game for me and to back out of it. But as a DM, you have so much freedom to do whatever you want. The one thing that you should mix in there is making sure the players are having fun and they have their moment. In, like, that's that's my advice for the – for yeah. All right. So next month, um, the next month's going to be a Q&A month. Uh, so what I want to do – and no, you don't get anything for doing this. All you have to do, uh, but what I would like to do is if you have questions about role-playing games, we just talked about a handful of misconceptions. If you have any questions about role-playing games or any topics that you would like us to talk about, email us. You have until the first Tuesday of next, well, first Monday, I guess, of next month. No, first Tuesday. Yeah. First Tuesday of next month next <laughs> month to send this in. Um, because... I want to, A, I'm going to source those questions and comments and suggestions as topics for future episodes. Also, if we have enough small one-shot questions, we may just make next week a questions episode and answer, you know, a dozen or so questions. Or it could just, there's already a couple that I've gotten that are going to be full topics that we'll talk about. So this is your opportunity to shape where these once-a-month role-playing episodes go. Tell us what you want to hear in these episodes and ask us questions about what you want to know about role-playing games. You have to email Otherwise, it. Otherwise, Chris is going to put me on trial for troglodyte murder and no one wants to listen to that <laughs> It'll be an entire episode on, on basically the trial of troglodytes. And maybe nobody. I, I want to listen to it. Um, so, yeah. So, that's next next time. Again, you don't get anything for it except for the... You know, the fun and feeling that you helped us out. And some of you have already done that. And I appreciate that. So um, <laughs> we get to talk about role-playing games on a regular basis. Next week, we will talk about a non-role-playing game topic. I think I already know what the topic is. Um, oh, we're going to talk about game balance next week. So, Ooh. yeah. So what makes a game balance and how important is it? So that's what our next week uh, conversation is all about. So let's get to the drawing, shall we? So last time Christopher Dong won, and I did not share the screen so our live audience could be true auditors. So this time I'm going to share the screen. (laughs) 
So now everyone can see a Google Sheets in front of them if you are in our live audience. If you aren't in our live audience, well, you know, tabletopgametalk.com slash live, Monday nights, 8.30 central. Um, we have 324 entries, minus six, because uh, Christopher Don can't win again, and I haven't taken his name off of this yet. Um, oh, I did. Nope. <laughs> Sorry. No, it is 324. He is zero. So, all right. So he is off. The way I do this is I type in a... In the box, 54321, which makes this little winner tag jump around the spreadsheet each time I do that. And wherever it ends on one, that's our winner. You have two weeks to get back to me. Otherwise, the next drawing will either have an additional person or I'll just do another one-off drawing. Uh, it's my, you know, my prerogative there. So, ready, everyone? <laughs> okay. Five, four, three, two, one. And the winner is Joe Hoover. So, Joe... You have two Yay. weeks. Yay. Everyone's Congratulations. Right now. Um, you have two weeks. And I'm going to type this out. Winner. I don't know what kind of audio that two, makes. Two, it might have been really three. bad. I'm sorry, everyone's ears. It was fa- <laughs> It was fantastic. Um, you are not bolded yet. You are marked in my spreadsheet as a winner. But you don't become bolded until you email me. So, Joe, email me. And once you do, this becomes bolded. You are no longer eligible for the 2021 giveaways. But you do get to pick from the list and we will talk about what you pick and shipping and all of that um, over email. So just let me know. That is as easy as that. And that one was official, right? Because everyone saw that. (laughs) (laughs) Christopher will always have an asterisk next to his name because Chris is bad at his job. (laughs) Maybe he would. Maybe he slipped me a 20. I don't know. Could have been both. (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's Go ahead and do some credits, and then afterwards, we will talk briefly about our campaign session this week. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. If you'd like to follow us on social media, the links for Facebook and Twitter are in our show notes. Want to watch us record live? You can find a link for that in our show notes, too. Comments or questions? Email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. If you'd like to be one of these wonderful people, you can find out how by visiting our website, tabletopgametalk.com, and clicking the Support Us link. And there's a link in the show notes, too. Finally, a huge thank you to our current patrons. Adam Harrison, Miles Maccas Clark, the gift, the gift of Games, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Jeremy Fisher, Terrence Miltner, Sean Peck, Christopher Dong, Jennifer Ingobrecht, Brian Arnold, Michael Yanikowski, David Sellers, David Radke, Jason Marks, Anne Reynolds, Christopher Letko, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, John R- Joe Rackstad, Weatherman Keith, Paul Raymer, Jimothy, Ben Gary, Matthew Droke, David Rank, Jerry Wong, C. Marie, Justin Willard, Jason Rodney, Sydney Loom, Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong, Baz Flintham, Eric Slander, Glenn, Cla- Glenn Cotter, John Williams, Sir Sully, Chris, you keep moving the cursors around and it's really throwing, <laughs> throwing me off my game. John Williams, Sir Sully, Andrew Fayesh, Kamal Berth, uh, Peter Fleming, Gary Bunker, Sahara Wentworth, Sean P. Kelly, Mike Smith, Caleb O'Brien, Don Gilstrap, Aaron Moore, Ron Nelson, Agnes Toth, Charles Pearson, Jesse Wheeler, and Ronald Roy. And thanks to all our past, present, and future patrons. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. All right, so D&D, we actually played it this week. Um, even though I mostly remember going to a library. There was a library. Everyone was exhausted, so we moved from Friday to Saturday, <laughs> and Spencer hadn't slept. So, yeah, so you you delivered Tabby to the to the university, yep. and um, 
didn't leave her there. <laughs> no. No, we took her back to the tavern. It seems like we, a really we, bad idea. We hit like a the, the checkbox like, yes, we delivered her to the university. So our job is technically complete. And now we'll remove her from that university that we just took her to. And bring her down into a giant dungeon. After, bring her to a dungeon. After finding out that she probably made a pact with some mysterious being that you don't know the reasons or motives or anything about. And yeah, you know, in game terms, we could maybe say she's a level two warlock. Level two warlock. <laughs> and she doesn't know. That's it what yet. my arcana check taught me. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Again, very mechanical. Um, <laughs> and you had the opportunity. Like it was, it was right there on the table that this being was willing to make a pact with one of you as well. But you all said, "Nope, not going to do that." And instead, just multi-classing would ruin my spell slots. (laughs) (laughs) I love how that is like the main motive. I think Sydney said the same thing. She's like, "But I like being a bard. I don't want to be a warlock." Like, well, you wouldn't be not a bard anymore. You'd just be both. She's like, "Oh." I still like being a bard. <laughs> <laughs> We're very anti multiclassing. What can I say? <laughs> Fletcher's already. Our last game, you made us multiclass. Uh, oh, yeah, I did. Fletcher's multiclass, right? Your fighter rogue? No, I'm not. Oh. I'm all rogue. Oh, I thought you were good at multiclass. I thought about it, but now with the new, like, kind of rogue changes that they made, some stuff that they threw in, I don't think I really need to. Nah. Nah, multi-classing is fun for to make interesting characters and stuff, but it's not necessary. There's, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like it's a reason it's an optional rule. But yeah, I was totally prepared to give you guys a level of warlock and see what happened. <laughs> um, if I was going to multi-class, I'd definitely go a different route than warlock. Although honestly, Clerk. wasn't warlock the way that I could get the dark vision where I could see in deeper darkness? Yeah. So maybe I will take it up. Yeah, warlocks mm. have all kinds of fun things they can do. It's neat. Um, mm, maybe yeah. I'll think about it because then I could play with my shadow blade in deeper darkness. Or it's not deeper darkness; it's just D and D darkness. But D and D darkness is Pathfinder deeper darkness. It doesn't work the way I want it to. <laughs> For those, so there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we are not a D and D podcast, but there are twelve classes in D D, and I'm doing this off the top of my head. I think seven of them are magic classes, like primary magic classes. Warlock is one that's the most confusing of all the magic classes because of the way its spell system is more different than any of the others. Um but yeah, so warlocks warlocks have a lot of interesting things they can add and do and they sound just like they are. They're they've made a pact with some kind of super powerful being and they get their magic through that pact. Now the super magical powerful being could be, you know, totally a lawful good entity um oftentimes it isn't but you know it could be (laughs) (laughs) so all right on that note this has already run long i might be able to shave a five or six minutes (laughs) off of it but let's call that an episode good night everyone